Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lisa Campion, who is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Art of Psychic Reiki. And she recently released her new book, Energy Healing for Empaths. Lisa is a psychic counselor and Reiki master teacher with over 25 years of experience. Lisa has been teaching Reiki for over 20 years. She has trained more than 1,000 people in Reiki and has conducted more than 15,000 individual sessions. We have a great deal to talk about. So let's dive right into this, Lisa, and welcome. Thanks, Summer. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Super happy to be here. Thank you for being here. Wow, is all I have to say. You have an incredible professional history. But before we take a deep dive into your professional history, can you give us a glance into your personal journey, where you grew up, and how some of these interests may have contributed to your professional passions? Well, it is an interesting story. So mostly I work as a psychic. Um, I train empaths, energy healers. Um, psychics, empaths, and sensitive people to really step in their gifts um, because I didn't have that. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s, just outside Boston. And I was one of those I see dead people kids, you know, and was seeing auras around people, was seeing having all kinds of psychic experiences and empathic experience. But of course, back then, no one was talking about that. There were no books in the library about it. There was no new age bookstores, no psychics on TV, no internet. I mean, there was nothing. And there was just me trying to like pretend to be normal in public. And, you know, back then, if you saw angels and talked to identical friend, they put you in a, in a, in a psychiatric facility, you know? And I remember just like knowing, even when I was little, I'm like, I I have to pretend to be normal. So nothing, you know, so that I'm okay. Nothing bad happens to me. And in the meantime, I'm trying my best to figure out what's going on. Why, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and see, I called them the gray people to see these gray people standing around my bed and talking to me and nobody else saw them. And I was like, am I crazy? What's going on? And um, so I spent, I spent the first 20 years of my life trying to figure out what was happening, how to turn it off, what to do about it. <clears throat> and I remember like, I'm going to the movie theater to see the movie Poltergeist. Remember when that came out? Yes, I absolutely do. Because I was a 70s, 80s kid as well. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So I'm sitting in the movie theater and and there's this professional psychic there in the the movie. And and I was like, oh, my God, that's the thing you can do that. I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. Like, I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. And that was the moment I decided you can do that. You can be that. That's the thing. And then she gave this little paragraph on like what happens when you die and why some people get stuck and how you move them on. And I was like, oh, my God, somebody knows something like, you know, and I got so excited. So I spent the rest of I've been spending the rest of my life trying to 
refine those skills and then help other people. Like I wrote the books, the book that I wanted to find in the library that wasn't there. I became the teacher that I wanted the mentor, the teacher that I wanted to have that, you know, so I kind of, I train people on all levels of psychic development and all levels of energy healing. And I work with people who feel called to be a healer. A lot of us do you know, these days. And it seems to me like people's psychic abilities are popping open like crazy. And, and I don't want people to have to suffer and feel like they're crazy and be alone the way that I did. Yeah. So that's sort of the short answer. Well, thank you for that. So I'm kind of going to go off script here because it's interesting how you were able to actually maintain and live a functioning life without being able to connect with anybody on that same level. So Mm. it sounds like you were just kind of hiding for a long time, hiding your skills, hiding who you were, trying to adapt and live within this box in a sense that we're conditioned to live in because of being limited based on our creativity, based on a Mm -hmm. lot of different things. So how did you come through that without feeling like, wow, I just don't have anybody. I feel so alone. I feel so isolated. I think I did feel that way. You know, I mean, fortunately for me, my parents were hippies, you know, and they were, they were open. They weren't like shutting me down or throwing holy water on me or, you know, sending me off for an exorcism or something, but they, they they didn't know what to do either because nobody did, you know, they did take me to transcendental meditation when I was 10, because that's what you did when you were a hippie in 1974, you know? So I learned, I learned how to meditate. Um, Like God bless my parents really. And, you know, we did this thing in the seventies, eighties called silver mind control. Now it's called the silver method. Okay. And that was like meditation. And this is the first time I heard the word guides. They talked about spirit guides. Mm -hmm. So I had sort of an extraordinary, I was extraordinarily lucky. I think I was very interested in martial arts. So I studied martial arts. I really just wanted to be a Jedi Knight. (laughs) Star Wars was the thing that made sense to me. I'm like, there's a force. And you know, it's like that also made sense to me. Like, so I studied martial arts and that helped me a lot, like learn how to ground and move energy through my body and be kind of grounded and practical. I've always been a practical person, even though I'm a psychic, but there were tons of times where I, I don't think I was particularly good. I tried to fit in, but I, I'm not sure I was particularly good at it. I learned things the hard way. Like when I was in third grade, I told people I could see auras and then nobody talked to me until high school. Wow. Like like I was kind of like the oddball, you know, right. Um, I don't know. So many people have that experience as kids. And yeah, I, I just, you just muddle through the best you can. I'm lucky that I had a loving family, a loving supportive family who, who really showed up for me, even though they, they didn't know what to do either. Right. Um, and then, and then I got to college and it was eighties. It was 1982 when I went to college. And then all of a sudden it was the dawn of the new age. Yeah. And right, there were yeah. teachers, there were books, there were workshops and, there were, that's when I started actually working as a psychic. So I started working as a psychic when I was 19. Um, after, yeah. I don't know, I don't know why you, you just think you can do things when you're 19, you know? So yeah, you're courageous, you know, <laughs> you know, you're like, you just do it. You don't think about what if you do it, you just jump in yeah. and you get it done. And it's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, the only psychic I knew was the ones that were on TV at the time, because you're right. It was the dawn of the new age. It was, you know, you were beginning to see people talk about 
Hey, I'm a psychic. Call me up. You can, right. you can talk the to psychic me. Hotline, the psychic hotline. Psychic hotline. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. so at 19, you started mm. working as a psychic. And yes. what was that like for you? You know, I quickly realized that I needed more training. So I did spend a lot of time, like I went back to school and studied counseling and psychology and um, learned how to be a therapist because I could deliver the message pretty well. But at 19, I had no, no idea what to do with people. They would cry and I'd be like, you know, yeah, right. So, right. So I had to get more skills. And um, for a long time, I combined that counseling and, and psychic together was a really great combination because the psychic readings bring up things for people and they need help processing them through. And then like 20 years ago is when I learned 22 years ago. Now it's when I learned Reiki It was 1999 back then. Reiki was still very fringe. It was still very like odd. And, but I was seeing, as I'm a visual psychic, I was seeing colors around people. I was seeing a pretty good medical intuitive. So I was seeing things happening in their bodies and I really needed a way to understand the human energy fields in a deeper, I just didn't know. I was seeing things. I didn't know what they were. So one of my friends said, why don't you learn Reiki? And, and I did, and I've been teaching it ever since. And I found that to be a very powerful tool, not only toolkit in my own work, but also in helping people, you know, sort of awaken spiritually. And so Reiki is like a gentle hands-on energy healing technique from Japan. It's very easy to use, sort of like acupuncture without the needles, right? And you learn how to flow energy through people that brings about profound relaxation and a sense of peace and well-being to the person who's receiving it. And and I, I really have taught in thousands of people since then how to practice Reiki. And it's been sort of a life changer for me, but also for the people that I teach. Yeah, I bet. I lived in Japan for three years. Okinawa, Japan, a small island. And I used to go to acupuncture every week. So I lived in Japan too. Did you? Oh, that's right. We talked about that. And it was incredible. Mm -hmm. I could get a massage and acupuncture for $20. And of course, as you know, they don't believe in tipping. So it's not part of their cultural rituals. So yeah, it, it was incredible. But the experience of acupuncture was absolutely incredible. So I'm going to jump to, in 2018, you released The Art of Psychic Reiki. Please give your description of what Reiki is and the, which you already did pretty much, but the art of it. What would you say is the art of Reiki? Um, I think that it's, Reiki is like, has sort of like two, there's two sides of it. And one of them is the personal and spiritual development that I see that happens in people who learn Reiki. So it tends to be like kind of proof that energy exists for a lot of us, you know, because you, when you learn it, you receive something called the attunement, which allows you to transmit this frequent, this energy of Reiki and your hands get really hot afterwards, you know, after you, and then you put your hands on people, you Reiki to your kid or your cat or your spouse, your hands get really hot. And it's, it's sort of like proof literally in the palms of your own hands that energy is real. Right. And you're like, you don't really believe it. And then you, your hands get hot and you put your hands on your doubting Thomas spouse. And they're like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? Like it, it, it's sort of irrefutable proof that energy is real. And this is a life-changing experience for people. If this is real, what else could be real? Yeah. You know, like what, and, and I always say that 
Reiki, yoga, and meditation are sort of the gateway experiences to spirituality for a lot of people, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you, and they're so easy there. So anyone can do yoga, anyone can do Reiki, anyone can do meditation. And in the oldies, those were hidden secret esoterics knowledge. You have to climb the mountain into bed and knock on the temple door, you know, for, right, stand right. out there, you know, then they'd let you in and maybe they would teach you yoga right. and Reiki and meditation. You know what I mean? Like it's like yeah. a golden child. Yeah, it's like oh. or you know, you see you see karate kid and you see Mr. Miyagi smack his hands together and touch Daniel and put that energy into him. And it's like exactly. those were the things that you saw back in the eighties. Yeah, you know, that's that right. Those of- miracles. Right. You know, and, and then here we are where those things are on every street corner, right. literally like at, you know, anywhere in the country, there's yoga and Reiki and meditation right. pretty much all over, and martial arts too, all over. And I think that's beautiful. So there's sort of the internal um, spiritual growth that happens when people learn Reiki. And also when we do Reiki on ourselves or other people, it really, it's a healing modality. So it, it has you know, here in Boston, I live right out well, I live in Rhode Island, but it's like an hour from Boston. And in, in all the big city hospitals in Boston, which are arguably some of the best in the entire world. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. They have full-time Reiki staff all the time. Uh, you, go to, so you, have, awesome. you go to Dana-Farber to get cancer treatments that you get, can't, you get Reiki while you're receiving your chemotherapy. Any of those big city, they have like, I don't know, like 20 full-time Reiki staff inside the hospital as part of their complementary and alternative medicine units, because it works because there's been a lot of scientific research that shows that Reiki mitigates the effects of chemotherapy, that Reiki helps with pain management. So it's used in pain management, pain clinics all over the world is a non-narcotic pain, which is a big problem. Like, you know, um, people have relief. It's incredibly powerful for depression and anxiety. Again, non-narcotic. It helps clear out our emotional stuff, reduce pain, you know, reduce inflammation. It it has, you know, very proven, very studied, very proven benefits that anyone can do. Anyone can learn. I've been teaching nurses Reiki for 20 years. And now sometimes I teach physicians. Well, that is fantastic. Not only yeah. is it non-narcotic, but is non-invasive. Right. And so those two aspects alone are incredibly important. And here is an option for people, maybe suffering with some type of addiction who can't really do the narcotics. And so it's fantastic that it is a non-invasive, non-narcotic treatment option. So let's jump into, you've treated 15,000 individuals. You've explained how Reiki can be of support to your wellness and in several different ways can impact your life in a positive way. So let's jump into now in February of 2021, you released energy healing for empaths, how to protect yourself from energy vampires, honor your boundaries and build healthier relationships. This sounds like a book we all need. Tell us about this book. I love this book. Yeah, it's such a good book. And, you know, psychics, empaths, and healers are my people, right? So my first book, The Art of Psychic Reiki, is sort of for the psychic and the the Reiki people. I really wanted to write a book for the empaths, for the sensitives. So many people are waking up to the idea that they're an empath. So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm an empath. And what is even an empath? So empaths are highly sensitive people. So in the 90s, Dr. Elaine Aaron sort of coined the term highly sensitive person, right? Mm -hmm. She was a psychologist and she really brought that 
um, God bless her. She really brought that language to, to the people in the nineties. And I, I see it more as a spiritual gift. I mean, it is sort of a psychological thing, but it, it's a little deeper than that too. But empaths are so sensitive that we feel other people's feelings as if they're our own. They're, we're like the psychic sponges. So we absorb the energy, the physical symptoms and the emotion of the people that were around and we feel it as if it's our feeling right right so yeah. the first time i knew i was an empath there was it was it, i was in college it was 1982 so that was the year i went to college and i went to a huge state school i went to umass amherst giant mm-hmm. school yeah and i um i went in there and i went to a party it was like a house party i was excited i'm like i'm party your college parties right sure. I'm feeling great it's a Friday night I get in it's in somebody's house I get in there I sit down next to this guy who's like who's like a country music song he's like girlfriend dumped him and he lies failing out of school and he's like crying into his beer and I sat next to him he's telling me his story because everybody always will stop you anywhere and tell you their whole life story if you're an empath by the way sure or a psychologist and, or a psychologist <laughs> you know because you most like empaths become psychologists because yeah. that's you know, we do. So all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling so depressed. I'm feeling like I can't leave this party. I'm like, I'm like instantly like suicidally depressed. And I don't know why. Cause at five minutes ago I was fine. And I was like, what is wrong with me? Uh, there's some, I'm mental. There's something wrong. I've got to leave. So I leave, I get up and leave. And I just turn around. It was just sort of like that moment where things change for you, where I turn around and I look through the window and he's still sitting there crying into his beer. And all of a sudden I feel fine again. And in that moment, I was like, oh, it's not me. There's some transference going on. It's not me. It's him. I'm picking yeah. up his energy. Yeah. And there, there was no language for this. There was mm-hmm. no word. Empath, there was, I just knew that's what was going on. And I was like, I've got to figure out how to stop being a sponge, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because until we figure out how to stop being a sponge, we feel like we're crazy. We feel like we, you know, we're like a raw nerve out in the world. We can't cope really with crowds or conflict or you know the, it's a big scary world out there for an empath right let me jump in here for a second because as somebody in psychology a lot of times we call those shared emotions right and yeah. so if you're feeling these things or you're impacted by these things it's going to be really difficult to separate yourself from that emotion You're going to be overwhelmed by it. So I think you're going to jump into this and how you can actually start separating from what are your emotions versus what are somebody else's and how can you help somebody? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's sort of the first thing we ask is, is this mine? Right. That's the first question when you feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overloaded. And it can be hard to tell because empaths in general are very emotional people too. So we tend to have our own uh, rich emotional landscape, our own deep feelers. So is this mine? And then if you know it's not yours, you can begin to, I because I'm an energy healer, I could really see that someone who is an empath literally is like a sponge. Their energy field is spongy and porous and don't have a good boundary, an energetic boundary around them. And non-empathic people, if you will, we'll just go, let's just go with the assumption we all have this energy called an energy field that surround us like it's like our life force energy that's like our, your aura that extends out beyond you and a non-empathic person has a boundary on the edge of their energy field that's more like like your skin or it's more like it's like a strong boundary so those people have this 
it, this felt sense of this is me and that's the world. And I might see that you're sad, but I'm not, I might feel sympathy for the fact that you're sad, but I'm not getting the energy wash of that through me. Right. right? Yeah. So, so what I do is I teach people how to learn how to set an energetic boundary, how to solid it up this outer edge of their energy field. And once you solid it up, all of a sudden you can make it through Costco. Right. You can make it through those big box stores tend to be very difficult. Now we're coming into the holidays. The holidays are super hard for empaths. So how do we manage shopping or the mall or concerts or things like that, where we have to be around. If you have a boundary and you learn how to clear the energy. So clearing the energy is like squeezing the sponge. So how do you clear the energy you pick up from people? Um, And how do we stay more grounded? Those are the things that empaths need to know. And when when I, it's, they're simple. I use like really, really simple breathing and visualization, sort of like a ground, a guided meditation. I teach, can teach it to people in five minutes. And then all of a sudden you can get through high school work with a lot of younger people who find it, you know, super difficult to manage life. Right. You know, in, in a high school, if you're an empath, can you imagine? Holy Lord, you know, yeah. or, or because we're drawn to helping and healing. So on the good side of things, it's like those skills are a gift that you're, you're meant to help people with. So it's like having a built-in MRI X-ray, X-ray machine, they're diagnostic tools so that we know how other people are feeling, even when they can't explain it to us. So empaths make great therapists, teachers, working with little children, animals, elderly people. We are called, we're, we're incredible therapists. We're incredible yeah. helpers. We want to do that. And we need to know these energy management um, skills so that we can do that without the world taking a bite out of us. Right. We're assuming all these, these other people's issues in such that it's just overwhelming you. Yeah. And Absolutely. as you said, you can walk through those big box stores or you can go into a party like you did when you were younger and be like, wow, this is imposing upon me in a way that I, I don't, I don't even know what this is yet. You know, I don't even yeah. know where this is coming from. So now you've got tools to be able to one identify and then also help you work with that empathic energy that you have, because mm-hmm. you don't have to what I'm hearing is you don't have to push it away or say, go away or not really lean into that. It's more like you have these recognize that. And now that you are aware, here are the tools to help you with that. That's right. So that's awesome. I love that. Can you just quickly give us a snapshot of what an energy vampire is? I love that about your title. Sure. Well, we've, we've all experienced that. I mean, everybody who's listening and watching knows you've just been around somebody that just sucks the life out of you. Like you, you, they're that friend you have or the coworker or family member, you get off with phone with them or you spend a few minutes and you're like, you have literally have to go lie down and take a nap after you're, you know, (laughs) yes, Yes, I get that. (laughs) And it's, it's just those people who just suck the life out of you. They just, and they really will, um, they'll, it can be your life force energy. It can be your emotional energy. It can be your time, your attention, your money, your, the gas in the, your car, the food in your fridge, they just take, they're takers, you know, and there are s- some people that are natural givers and the empaths and the healers and the sensitive of the, of the world tend to be natural givers. And we go into kind of a, 
a polar polarized relationship with the takers. And there's nothing wrong with taking and giving if it's sort of reciprocal. You know, we we are sometimes, sometimes we need to give, sometimes we need to take, there's that reciprocal thing, but energy vampires are always on the take. And we could call them narcissists. There's a lot of different words for them. And there's a few different kinds of energy vampires. There's sort of narcissistic ones that I call the predatory vampires. They're quite dangerous. They're like the psychopaths, you know, of the world. There's victim vampires. They don't necessarily mean they don't wake up in the morning and say how can I suck the life out of summer today but they they're just like it's just their nature to be like sort of needy right right um they're they're situational energy vampires like we all fall on hard times we all fall in into times when we're not on our best and things are happening to us many of us have been through that in the past couple years where we just need a lot right and hopefully we write ourselves and then there that other, the other kind is the empaths out there who get so drained that they're, you know, like how it's sort of like the mythology of vampires. How do vampires create other vampires? They drain the life out of somebody to the point where now that person is a vampire. Wow. And yeah, so we have to be mindful of all of this and mindful of of our managing our energy, of having boundaries, of learning when to boundary is just a really fancy way of learning how to say yes and how to say no. Yeah. And figuring out when to say yes and say no. It's right. really hard for us sensitive people. Well, and you rolled right into my next question, how someone can honor their boundaries and what that looks like. So that was going to be my next question. So how does somebody, in fact, honor their own boundaries and know that it's okay to do that? Because a lot of times we've been conditioned as empaths or otherwise, especially mm-hmm. as women, to be empathic, to understand other people, to give our time and our energy for those that need time and energy, or that are just taking, taking, taking. So how do you explain to somebody that it is okay to honor those boundaries? It's okay to take care of yourself. Right. Well, it's kind of like that idea when the masks fall on the airplane, you put your own on first, right? right? Or we can't, we can't, give from an empty cup without getting sick. Eventually you burn out, you get sick, you're going to have health issues, you're going to have mental health issues. Um, the bill comes due on that. We can't, yeah. eventually you, you hit you hit it and you you burn out, you, 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 you get ill or depressed or something, you know? So we can give if we're full. Right. You know, when we're full and then giving is a joy. Right. Right. Then we want to. Right. right. So we, we, it's sort of practical. You don't put, you don't expect your car to run with no gas in the car. Right. Like, Absolutely. You know, like that would be crazy. Right. But you a know? lot of people, because we have been conditioned to give and give and give, they just don't yeah. know how to set up these boundaries and know, know how to take care of oneself. And so I love your book because it is for everyone. It does have these super skills that you can apply to everyday yeah. life, but it's also good for the healers, the empaths, the, the therapists, because those jobs, not that your expectation is to get thanks, but there's a lot of listening and taking in mm-hmm. of a lot of information that's heavy stuff every yeah. single day, caretakers, doctors, you name it. Yeah, This book is great for them because it gives you the resources to be able to also take care of yourself. It's funny, as you were going through the different types of vampires, I'm like, oh, wow, this can be a DSM, you know, on its own, a personality (laughs) disorder called vampires. (laughs) So so 
you know, I'm doing these correlations in my brain going, oh, I see this. I really see this. So anyway, it is, it has been so great to talk to you. So as we come to the close of the interview, my last question is always, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? I think it's to really like, if you're one of those people that the sensitive, the psychics is to really accept that about yourself. Like I, I want you all to honor who you truly are, um, what your nature is and understand that um, if you get skilled up a little bit where like my mission in life is to create an army of healers, because I think the world needs saving right about now. And there's so many people who's, who are waking up, they're having psychic awakenings, or they're understanding they're an empath, or they're feeling called to that. And if you are, um, first of all, the, those things are beautiful, wonderful gifts. And we can't really access them fully until we get some training and some help. So I think their sensitives are very underrated. A lot of times people tell you there's something wrong with you, you're too sensitive. And I want to tell you that's not true. That's not true. If the world was run by empaths, we'd have no war. We'd have no buddy starving to death. We'd have no, we'd be solving all the problems because we would be putting this priority on people, right? So that's a beautiful gift. It's really, really needed in the world right now. And I I just want to honor everyone, everyone's beautiful heart and beautiful soul who feel like they're sensitive. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you, Summer. It was beautiful. Thank Thank you. you. You can connect and follow Lisa Campion on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can also check out her website at lisacampion.com, and you can purchase her book, Energy Healing for Empaths, at Amazon and other online retailers. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a Core Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.